You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode 19. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Blitzbach. Hi, and welcome, welcome to all the new people. I am so excited. After months of work, the podcast is starting to take off. There is increasing interaction on the survivors group on the Best Life After Cancer MD Facebook page, and I feel like I'm making a difference in people's lives. It really helps people to find the podcast if there are reviews. Apple brings up podcasts higher if they have more reviews, so your review helps another cancer patient to find this. I promise if I get to 100 by Christmas, I will stop bugging you guys. The housekeeping first, as always. I am a doctor, but not your doctor, so run what I say by your team before adopting any medical advice. It is feeling like fall here this week. Suddenly it's chilly at night. The leaves are starting to change. The kids are back in school, three in a hybrid model, and one full-time in person. We are getting used to the schedule after a long time without really having one. My littlest is playing soccer on a town rec team. They are doing a great job screening everyone, and it really feels like they are keeping everyone safe. It's nice to see the kids running and playing. It makes things feel a little more normal. I was chilly on the sidelines at practice last night, so I remembered that it is time to stock the car with a blanket, sweatshirt, and hat, so I always have them. It seems like so long since I was at a kid's sporting event. Last week, my husband was away, hiking with my younger brother. It's always a busier week when he's gone, when I am working and solo parenting and carpooling without him, so I'm really happy to have him back. He and my brother go hiking every fall, and it is something that really makes me appreciate him when he's back. A friend asked me what I got out of this week. In the moment, I said, a week with just me and my boys where I can spoil them the way I like. And he said, no, I mean like a trip or a shopping spree or what? I told him we don't work like that. We both do things to fuel our own happiness and well-being, and we try not to dictate to the other person what they can and can't do, and we certainly don't go into it with a tit-for-tat mentality. When we take responsibility for our own happiness, it is so much easier to be happy than when we farm out our happiness based on what someone else provides. They may not do it just right or may not want to do what we need to be happy. So consider taking responsibility for your own wants, needs, and dreams. For me... I spend time and money on ballroom dance. My husband hates dancing and has no interest in doing it with me. I took my oldest son to the Galapagos when two other family members were going. My husband and some of my other kids get violently seasick and had no interest, but it didn't mean we couldn't go. He and my brother hike and camp. They do 12 to 15 miles of hiking a day in aggressive terrain with no hot showers the whole week. Rehydrated food from a tin foil bag pooping in the woods. Not really my thing, but bring it on for him. He and his brother often meet up for a weekend conference in Jackson Hole, where his sister happens to live, for a few days of aggressive skiing. Don't get me wrong, I love to ski, and Jackson is awesome, but to take the whole family for a long weekend is just such a haul. He loves to do this with his brother, 
fast runs, the hardest slopes, really killing it a few hours a day, and then a few hours of lecture, getting some CME, and I just don't mind watching the kids so they can have that time together. I want to challenge you. If you are in a relationship where you expect something back whenever you give something, maybe you want to evaluate that. I love feeling like I can choose what I want to do and know he will support it. And he loves being able to do things I might not be jumping up and down to do. Brooke Castillo always coaches on having a spouse just to love them and not expecting anything but love back. It may seem a foreign concept, but the more I work on it, the better our relationship is. Enough about that for now, but if you want to hear more, tune in for the Facebook Live at Best Life After Cancer MD in the Survivors Group on Saturday at 9 a.m., where I will get into that a little deeper. Today, I want to talk more about how our thoughts create our realities, and more specifically, why anger is a destructive emotion to go through cancer treatment with. I have had patients over the years who are extremely angry and bitter about their cancers, and it spilled out of them and onto their families, the people there to treat them and help them, and strangers at the grocery store. Many patients are angry, but some come and really wear it on their sleeve. It happened recently, and it was so enlightening to me to observe this through the lens of a life coach. Always before, I have just looked at it as an oncologist, and this was new to me. The case I'm going to describe is a pretend patient to illustrate this to you and protect the confidentiality of all patients. I walked into the room with Mr. Smith. He had been recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. He glanced up when I walked in and then right back down at his phone. The nurses had warned me he was angry, to the point of being belligerent and intimidating. I asked how he was holding up, and he said, how would you be holding up if you had surgery and the cancer was much worse than they thought, and now you had to have radiation? Eyes back to his phone. I did my best to engage him and get through our discussion. He answered the questions with as few words as possible. He seemed to not really be listening as I described the treatment and side effects. When we did the consent, he grumbled about signing, saying, I'm sure I'll have all these effects. So far, everything has gone wrong. I asked if he had questions, and to be truthful, I breathed a sigh of relief when he said, I just want to get done and get out of here. Okay, let's pause a moment. What did that buy him? It did not create a rapport with me or the nurses. It did not lead to him paying attention and absorbing all I was saying, questioning what he was unsure about, and really having a good handle on his care. It did not allow him to really pay attention to the risks and benefits and how he needed to be an active participant in his treatment. When he came in for the planning, I told him he needed to come every day with a full bladder. This helps to push the small intestines out of the pelvis and reduces side effects from treatment. He was angry that he had to come for a planning appointment in the morning and was not looking at me at all as I spoke. He had a newspaper and appeared to be looking at it in between the stink eye glares he was giving me. It was pretty clear he wasn't really listening to the instructions I gave because he was distracted with fuming about having to miss part of work that morning. When we did his first treatment, I saw in the check films that the bladder was not as full as it should be. I alerted him and he said something along the lines of, I didn't think it was really that important. I asked him again to work on it. He went into an angry litany of why he couldn't have a full bladder for treatment. He had to drive here. He didn't like water. Having a full bladder is uncomfortable. It's way too early to get up and drink before he came for treatment. What did this amount to? He didn't hear and understand the importance of the instructions because he was so wrapped up in his anger at the cancer, the world, and everyone in it. His anger made him look for all the reasons why he couldn't possibly do what I asked him to do. This is something our brains do. 
called a negative confirmation bias. This means if we believe something negative, our brains will go to work looking for all of the data to support that belief. So we continued to get treatment with less than a full bladder. This led to symptoms including diarrhea and urinary complaints. This made him more angry, and he had a weekly on-treatment visit where he told me in a heated way that it was just like he expected. All of the bad things I had told him were coming to pass. Not filling his bladder from the start created the reality that now it really is challenging to fill his bladder, and he fills it even less, and the side effects get worse. It's a vicious downward spiral. This is obviously an exaggeration to make a point. Just so you know for sure it's not a real patient, I don't even treat prostate cancer. But there are people who come in in this state of mind. They are angry at the staff, short-tempered, even rude sometimes. It is human nature to avoid someone unpleasant, so often the staff will look down as the person walks by, or they say the minimum to avoid eliciting an unpleasant remark in their direction. This does not generate the rapport we hope to have with patients, where they feel like they can talk to any of us whenever they need to get the support they need. When angry patients are distracted and not engaging, they miss the opportunity to really understand their care at the deepest level. They fail to join with us in creating a seamless team to fight the cancer together. I know personally I still do my very best to care for them, but may not ask probing questions that might help me find things I can help with when every attempt is met with a rebuttal, anger, or nastiness, or just flat stares with no answer at all. We might not spend time discussing what type of exercise will best support them, or how meditation can calm them, or what massage therapist is really good for helping the body feel nurtured. Not from me not wanting to, but from a natural sense of self-preservation, and from a recognition they don't want to spend one extra minute in my presence. They are angry at the cancer, but honestly, the cancer doesn't care. I think it even feeds on this type of negative energy. The patient is angry at God or the universe, but it comes out aimed at the people who are trying to help them. This is hugely counterproductive. For sure, I don't want to tell you that you can't be angry. You have the absolute right as a human being to feel whatever you want to feel. But you should just be aware of the effects of the emotion and the action it is driving. When we feel a strong emotion like that, often we are not aware of the underlying thought creating the emotion. But I find that often it is useful to try. Finding the thought can help you realize that you are mad, but not at the sweet therapists who run the machine. Is the thought, everything bad always happens to me? I didn't deserve this. I'm terrified I'm going to die and being pissed feels better than being terrified. Finding all of these thoughts allows you to function a bit better. I have so much empathy for the really angry patients, and often I'm able to help them through it during their treatment because I find for so many, they actually are terrified but can't feel that feeling without completely breaking down. So they suppress terrified with furious. But not all doctors will work that hard at engaging a furious patient. Not all staff are willing to be spoken to in that way. If you are pissed, find out what thought is there. Evaluate it. Tweak it so it is not alienating your friends, family, and the people there to care for you. From my standpoint, let's talk about how a discussion with an angry patient could go. Back to Mr. Smith. I might say... Mr. Smith, you seem so very angry, and it is making it really difficult for me to help you. Mr. Smith says, I have a right to be pissed. Me, of course you do. But I don't want that being pissed to keep you from doing everything you can to be cured of this cancer. Are you able to find what thought is leading to feeling so pissed? Mr. Smith, while grumbling, 
I think it is that everyone else who gets prostate cancer, their treatment is quick and easy. Mine, nothing is going the way we planned. It just isn't fair. Me, I agree. Life in general isn't fair. We don't get to choose what hand we are dealt, but we have to play the hand we get because folding is just not an option. How can I help you get through this? Mr. Smith, you're right. I don't want to fold. This little conversation is a crack in the anger that allows us to start to work together. But you don't need to have that conversation with your doctor. You can have it with yourself. Ask, why am I so angry? What is that anger driving? Honestly, you may not want to see what it is driving. Once you do, you may feel sad or ashamed. It is okay. Don't beat yourself up. Realize it, love and forgive yourself, and move forward. Make a plan to do better. Lean into the fear. Don't force it down. Suppressing the fear leads to needing other stronger emotions to keep it down. Just let the fear be there, like a backpack full of school books. As you wear it, books get dropped off to different classes and the backpack gets lighter. Maybe not on the first day, but with time and work. This is so hard. Coaching helps. Support from other survivors helps. It's okay to not be able to do this on your own. A quote I love from Eckhart Tolle that helps me really understand this, whatever you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. Ultimately, our hope is that we get to a point where we can be pissed at the cancer together. Your team is there to fight for you and work for you, but you have to play your part. You have to do your job. Whether it is keeping your bladder full for treatment or eating right and exercising or limiting your alcohol, you can't let the anger keep you from doing the right thing to maximize your odds. If your treatment is finished and bitterness is making it so you overeat, overdrink, don't exercise, and binge on Real Housewives of LA, well, that bitterness is helping your cancer and hurting you. It is exactly what the cancer would most like to have happen. Stress hormones there to help it grow, and none of the things you can be doing to hinder its growth. At this point, so many people have an aha moment and see what they are creating. Immediately, they feel awful. They start beating themselves up for creating this. They hate themselves now instead of the cancer. Let me tell you, hating yourself creates the exact same thing as hating the cancer. You have to love yourself well. You can't hate yourself well. If it's not with me, get support from somewhere. Find a group that you can talk with. There are so many resources. You just have to reach out. I'm working on a coaching group for people who want to do this work together. It will include weekly live coaching with me, workbooks, and self-guided work. It's starting soon. I would love to have you there with us. Go to bestlifeaftercancer.com to get more information and sign up for the updates for the group. Until then, do the work to see what your emotions are creating for you. Keep the ones that are driving good things. Get rid of the ones driving bad things. Get help if you need it. Much love to you this week, and I'll speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon. You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 22.